JP Morgan cocaine seizures that nobody wants to talk about. The Purdue settlement offer. Talk about Kingpins getting off. I am Gerardo Del Real. I am your host. I am the host of Bizarro World. It indeed is. This is episode 34. I am here with my co-host, the Solar Prophet, Mr. Nick Hodge. Nick, how the heck are you? Um, I'm doing good. Was it Jamie Dimon that had a seizure from too much cocaine? What are we talking about? <laughs> you didn't hear about the billion dollars of cocaine um, that was seized on a J.P. Morgan-owned boat, yacht, call it what you like, a ship? Um, what's probably equivalent to the amount that's in the J.P. Morgan bankers' offices, if, if, if anything I hear from my friends on Wall Street is true. Do they talk really fast when they tell you? I don't know. They always rub their mouth. They, 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 catch, they got the lips in there. They, catch, they got the fingers in their mouth. And they, they can't look me straight in the eye. Cocaine is a hell of a drug, in the words of Richard Pryor. <laughs> Fuck your couch. <laughs> they should have never gave you money. <laughs> Let's get to it, everybody. Gold was boring last week. It's exciting now. I pulled back a bit today, but we're still well above 1500 You know what that means, Nick. The scumbags are back, man. They're back at it. These assholes are back back doing what every bull market enables people to do. And I know there's a lot of new listeners to the podcast. So I want to start by saying the podcast is geared towards people that invest and speculate in the junior resource sector. Nick, of course, writes um, three premium publications. He's also the founder of The Outsider Club, one of the most interesting venture capitalists I've ever met and somebody I'm lucky enough to consider a friend. I write two premium subscription newsletters for The Outsider Club. I'm thankful to Nick for the opportunity, but the bottom line is the podcast is meant to give you some commentary on the junior resource space, hopefully provide some ideas that can help make you some money, um, and they are just ideas. We don't give investment advice. And then the second half of the podcast tends to be you know, a conversation and dialogue about the state of this bizarro world, which of course is 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 at a turning it's 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 at a crossroads there's a lot going on in the world so we like to touch on things that are informative funny you know some things that really upset us some things that make us sad um so it's a little bit of both so if you want if you just care about the markets part of this podcast listen to the first 10 15 20 minutes and maybe the end um if you want to hear us joke around and uh, talk about some serious things and provide some insightful stories from nick then stick around and enjoy the 45 minutes to an hour um that we tend to rant and rave about but yeah let, let let's get to the scumbags being back and gold being exciting let's start with gold it's sitting right around the 1527 level um, I insist that it's going to make a run up to 1585 in the early part of September. I then think that the second half of September, we're due for a pullback that scares some of the newbies. Um, that's my take. Nick, I'd love your take. And then let's talk about the scumbags. Gold hit an all-time high in the euro and the sterling this week. Um, those are major, major global currencies. It has been in other highs um, in other currencies, but this is really a ringing of the bell. This is the you should be paying attention uh, bell, uh, gold hitting a record in the euro. And so very strong here uh, at 1530, 1540, approaching its next uh, technical inflection and, and seemingly showing strength. Now, we know that 
trees don't grow to the sky. And we know that after five, six, seven years of pain that some people are going to be eager to take profits. I've seen a bit of profit taking in the market. I've done a bit of profit taking myself. Mm. Um, uh, and in my letter, dependent on companies and how I see them developing or not developing and how I see them raising money or selling their shares four months after they raise money. And that's sort of how I'm taking it. So uh, where to go from there? Uh, we're, we're in a gold bull market. We've been saying that for 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 weeks and maybe even over a, a month at this point. And so uh, what do I want to talk about? Uh, a company called Megastar, for example, mm. that um, we got in at 14 cents, went to 19 cents. I told people to take profits because they had some early exploration results, grab samples, soy, soil samples that look good. But the, there was no mention of, hey, we're going to follow this up real quick with drilling in the press release. There was no talk like that. And um, I want companies to drill. We talked about this on the on the last episode. And so not only that, but they have a four-month hold coming due on the, the first week of September. Uh, that some paper is going to become free trading. And so those two factors combined, hmm, the company says that, you know, we're not going to drill right away. Um, or at least that's what they said by not saying it. Hmm. Um, and also there's there's paper coming due. So let's go ahead. Let's take our 20, 25 percent profit. We'll reassess after the paper comes free trading. Um, and that's sort of how I'm, um, I'm, I'm approaching this market. And sure enough, that was the right decision. Sold it last week. Shares went from 19 cents to 13 or 14 cents today is ha ha. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Sellers come out a, a week before the paper is due. It's funny how that happens. Right. Hmm. And um you can and, and and you know take that with um, against the companies that we talk about that are developing the revival goals of the world, the Midas's, the Magnas, um, and so um, just an interesting dichotomy that has emerged that we've already talked about, but really really wanting to concentrate on the quality companies and take profits and trade around speculations on those that um, let's say are shorter term holds for me but that i don't want to be you know what we stopped doing the married date kill but that i don't want to be married to well we're gonna do married date kill here soon it won't be today everybody but for those of you that have not had the pleasure of listening into that um you'll 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 have that soon I'm, i want to talk about magna gold because i think it's the perfect example of what we can expect from the better companies in the space. The company is a relatively new company headed by a gentleman by the name of Arturo Bonillas, who is serially successful. He's put, I think his last five projects have become mines and or have been monetized, um, sold to the benefit of shareholders, of course. His new company is focused on a million plus ounces of near surface oxidized gold in Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico. At least that's where he is based out of. The property is in Sonora, Mexico. It's called the Mercedes Project. But the reason I want to talk about the project is because this is a stock that a month ago we were touting here on the podcast. And again, the podcast is free. It takes maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes of your time. You can either you know do some due diligence as a result or ignore us and think that we're crazy. But the bottom line is we couldn't get people to buy that stock at 22, 23, 24 cents just 30 days ago. And now that the company is drilling and now that we have a robust gold price, not just in U.S. dollars, as you mentioned, um, new highs versus the euro and frankly, new highs versus many other currencies. I think that's the beginning of a trend that we can expect. Um, but here we are, you know, less than a month later and the stock has nearly doubled. 
And so, you know, even after the doubling, it's still got a market cap of 14 million. They have four to five million in the bank. Drills are turning. There's whispers of the company looking for accretive assets. Mr. Bonillas has a very extensive Rolodex um, and network down in Mexico that I expect him to put to work. And the bottom line is it's a company with great management, a very good asset, a great share structure. It's well capitalized and they're doing what every explorer should be doing in a bull market, which is finding ways to put a drill in the ground to see if you can add ounces to the portfolio. Um, the bottom line is a lot of companies are going to sit there and collect checks, do bullshit spin outs, um, a silver spin out, a gold spin out. Um, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with those when they're projects that have merit. If you're just doing it because it's the flavor of the month and you want a new company that has the word gold or silver in it, you will likely find yourself at the end of a sell call from either Mr. Hodge or myself. That's one. The second part to that is if you are an explorer and you are not exploring, you will find yourself at the end of a sell call by myself because that just is not going to cut it in this bull market. I've been very patient in the premium newsletter that I write, Junior Mining Monthly, with explorers because for the past two or three years, most of that time, the best move was not diluting, not drilling, keeping the share structure intact, and making sure that you set yourself up for the bull market. That market is here, so it's time to get to work. Well, there are some other people that are getting to work um, in more nefarious ways than actually exploring or developing. Shall I continue? Preach, Brother Nick. So there's a company called, well, there's a lot of companies that are fucking trash on the TSXV, but there's a company called Winston Gold. Um, they're getting called out by name because I helped them raise some money some three or four years ago at 30 or 40 cents. It's a gold property, high grade, but really never going to be a mine, never going to be developed. It's total promotional play um, in Montana, south of Helena. So can you explain can, why it'll never get developed? Because it was up 85% today on 10,948,000 shares, guys. I mean, this must be um, the mother load of all prospects. Well, first of all, I don't think it's an economic <laughs> deposit. And second, second of all, um, it doesn't have the, the people involved or the, uh, the, the capital to, to make it uh, a, a mine. I don't think the, People behind the project, Mr. David Duggan, uh, have any interest in, in advancing it. They are only interested in using um, the new fervor in the gold sector to um, uh, pump, is the, is the word, their shares mm -hmm. up. Um, and so here it is. Like, if you just look at a chart, a five-year chart, you can look back at 2016 when the stock was at 30, 40 cents, which is when I helped them raise money because um, – a gentleman I knew uh, was also in a deal that I had a lot of success with, right? And we talk about people. Uh, the deal that I was in with him was called Lithium X, which was mm. one of the most successful deals I was ever in in my career. The most successful deal I've been in so far. But you delivered, um, what, like a 2,400% gain to your subscribers? It was closer to 1,500%. Okay. But yeah, 15 cents to, to over two bucks or something like that. So, um, and I met him on the site tour, but... And, you know, people talk about deals. And so we talked about deals a couple months down the road. He's got this deal, Winston Gold. Um, would you like to help me raise some money? Yeah, sure. It looks like an okay opportunity at the time. The grades were good. He had a plan. But um, 
he's he's not one of the good characters in in this whole junior mining sphere, right? Um, he does some of the things or the things, not some of the things, the things that give the sector a bad name, the, you know, raising money without wanting to advance a company, dumping paper after the four month hold time, using third party services to, to tout their project, not on its merits, but on the hopes of pumping up the stock, um, all those things. And so after we help, after I helped raise money at 30 cents back in 2016, shares promptly went to below, um, 10 cents. In fact, they got as low as 0.025 cents, two and a half cents. Mm. Um, and so what happens? Here we are. That was 2017 passes, 2018 passes. I don't hear from Mr. Duggan except for a, a text here or there. Hey, bro, what's up? Which I hate. I hate the hey, bro stuff anyway. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not, I'm not your bro. I never want to be. And I, I don't do the bro thing. So I would just ignore him. But here, so like two months ago, I get a text from him. Um, hey, you want to do something with Winston? And I don't respond like I haven't responded to him for the past three years, but it puts in the back of my mind he's getting ready to do something with Winston. And so flash forward until uh, this week, late August 2019, when Mr. Daniel Amadori of Future Money Trends. Um, Austin Bass, by the way. I, I actually sat down uh, for lunch with him like three and a half years ago. So I'm familiar. Two sides of a coin, right? Exactly. Comes out with this big report yesterday about um, this gold stock that's going to be a near per term production and how the chairman has been buying and how high the stock is going to go. And I mean, he's a brilliant marketer, right? He's hesitant to tell you about this because it's only five cents and it could go up so much that he doesn't even know if he should tell you about it. And all this is the copy, of course, to get you all lathered up and hot and bothered to go out and buy the stock, which clearly worked for um, him and David Duggan in this case, because as you pointed out, when we started talking about this, shares traded um, 10.9 million shares today. And at one point, we're up over 100%. Hmm. Um, they closed last night at six cents. And, they went, and today they were, or no, they closed, yeah, they closed at six and a half cents. And today they were as high as 17 cents. Now, hear this. They just closed the financing at five cents, knowing damn well that this promotion was about to come. And the only reason, the only reason they would run a promotional campaign like that is to make the share price go up so that they can dump their five cent shares. It's as cut and dried as that. It is plain as day. It is clear to see. And those are the things that you as a speculative investor in the resource space need to pay attention to and avoid at all costs. That leads me into my question for you, Mr. Hodge. You and I are both newsletter writers. I've done promotions where I think a stock is 20 cents, has a potential based on assets to run to a buck, a buck 20. And if we get a bull market, could run to 250, right? Tenfold gains where I really believe or, or a market where I really believe 10 and 20 fold gains are possible because I've, I've experienced them firsthand. You have as well. Can you explain to people the difference between someone like myself or someone like yourself that does promotions for certain stocks that actually believes in the stock where the truth is most of the promotions won't work out because that's the nature of the high risk, high reward speculative sector that we speculate in. Most exploration plays don't work but there is a difference between promoting a stock that you believe has a legitimate shot 
at developing or finding something that's meaningful and somebody that clearly knows it's not economic. It has very little to to any chance of ever being permitted. And the intent is not even to develop it. It's literally just to go ahead and dump the stock. Well, the main difference is that we don't take money to recommend stocks. And so um, no one is paying us to, to tell our readers to get into a certain thing. The only reason we recommend a stock is because uh, we think it's going to make money for the readers that do pay us. Um, and, and, and that's the, I mean, that's the monumental difference. Uh, the other difference is, um, you know, we don't sell into our promotions. We, um, are firmly aligned with our readers in that, you know, we're in this thing until we make a sell call. It's not like we're telling you to buy it in one side of our mouth and selling it out of the other side. That's just not what we do. And if you look at the fine print, um, which you should always do, see how much um, outfits like future money trends. And I'm not knocking the business. I mean, the guy's out there, whatever, hustling, doing his thing, making money. Sure. But it's at the expense of other people. And that's where I have a problem. So read the fine print. See if they're being paid. How much were they paid? Was it options or cash? And so, you know, we make our money on subscriptions. The, the, the future money trends of the world, they're not, they're not <clears throat> um, charging you. And so, so, you know, what's the age old saying? If you're not paying for the product, you're the product. And so very much so, you're the product. They're giving you the stock name for free because they want you to buy it. Who the fuck do you think is selling it? Hmm. So somebody sold 11 million shares today. Exactly right. <laughs> and, it and it doesn't always work out in our favor, to be clear, Gerardo. And, and you know this, you know, we're not always right. And the, nope. the stocks that we choose to do promotions on, you know, don't always go up a thousand percent. But we firmly believe that they have a shot. They're the right people. They're doing the right things, whatever. It's the right trend. It's the right jurisdiction, whatever it is. Um, you know, we're out there to sell subscriptions and to make money for ourselves. And oftentimes, yes, we do own shares in those companies. But the difference is that we paid for them. And normally we paid full value, not these founder shares or the, the cheap paper that we often talk about. Absolutely. No, that was well said. I want to talk a bit about why gold is hitting all time highs against the euro and why this is a trend that will continue. Did you hear about Germany's failed bond auction? I didn't. Tell me. So... People are saying that Germany, and when this happened, um, whether it was the worst bond auction ever is up for debate. That that part is subjective, right? That's up for debate. But what's not up for debate is that um, the German government <laughs> tried issuing just over $2 billion worth of 30-year bonds with a negative yield, um, a, a yield of negative 0.11%. And... It was a failed auction. The German government had to step in and buy around 60% of it just to cover the auction. Why is this important? Because I've been writing for three years and saying it for five or six that the next big global contagion when it comes to the financial markets is going to come from Europe and it's going to come from the bond market. And I think people are finally starting to realize that this is just a twisted game of musical chairs. As I told subscribers earlier today, Um, you know, the bottom line is it's a sell it to the next sucker. As long as I don't have to face the consequences type of world in the bond market. 
And I think it's starting to come to an end. And unfortunately, that will not end well. We've talked about the end game with China and its treasury holdings and their, you know, very long term approach to um, taking the U.S. out as the world's most dominant economy. I think that's five to 10 years away. But again, they play the long game. Uh, the stuff that just happened with this German bond auction should be a bigger deal. It, it, it didn't get the uh, attention that I thought it would. Um, this is the world's fourth largest economy. And the people that manage large pools of capital are telling you, we no longer trust this shit. You buy it, meaning the government. You come in and buy 60% of it. We're not giving you more money. That's a big deal, folks. There's a lot of bond market. This is the biggest market in the world is the bond market, right? And so pay attention. Pay attention because it's not going to take a lot to get gold to 1,600, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000. But man, that, 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 that there's a lot of volatility that's going to come with that. And unfortunately, um, this auction to me is a big, big crack in the armor. Um. I'm, I'm confused. Can you just help out little old stupid me for a second? Um, so the, the government sells bonds to raise money. Is that correct? <laughs> to fund its deficits. Yes. Um, but then the government had to, to come up with money to buy its own bonds. Is that correct? They had to buy 60% of it at a negative so they, yield of negative 0.11. So they're guaranteed to lose money from the day they buy. So they sell bonds to fund their deficits, but nobody is willing to buy the bonds. So the government has to go into further debt to buy the bonds on which they're going to go further into debt because the bonds pay them a negative interest rate and they're not going to get back the full money that they put into the bonds to begin with. And, and have, I, have I lost you yet? Am I, am I confusing myself? No, you, you got it right. You sound like you're on the JP Morgan boat, <laughs> the shipping container. <laughs> <laughs> So that had the billion um, dollars worth of cocaine, but you're incredibly lucid and spot on. So how is it different from a snake eating its tail? It's not. And that's the point. And that's how it ends. This is the biggest bubble well, in modern financial history, folks. The fact that there isn't, um, you know, 10 boxes on CNBC and everybody talking about this is, is mind boggling to me. But Gerardo, no, they're, they're they're complicit, man, and it's it's one of the topics I wanted ah, to get to. If, I love if, it. If yep. you if you watch some of these mouthpieces, like the one that gets under my skin the most is Joe Weisenthal at Bloomberg. Oh god, they're out there, they're <laughs> out there tweeting and like you know um, making fun of people that are gold investors. He was literally making fun of like silver investors the other day and talking about publishing articles on Bloomberg like zero is just a number and like why can't rates go negative? And this is the same guy that was advocating like minting a trillion dollar coin for the US to pay off its debts. I mean, they are totally complicit. That is just like so far outside of the realm of reality that I don't even know why you would give these people the time of day. And what really, really irks me is that they try to make themselves off as intellectuals. Like they're so fucking financially smart that they can entertain the idea that negative rates are okay. Go fuck yourself. Why would you ever want a negative rate? It's always the academics, right? Now here's where it gets really interesting. I've long, I've long said that. Before, That's what I want to say. Yep. How much are you worth, Mister Weisenthal? That's what I want to fucking say. Show your cards, dude, because you ain't got shit except for your keyboard. If that, <laughs> if that, it's probably someone else writing it and typing it. Uh, that's amazing. 
It is amazing. Here's something else that's amazing that very few people are talking about. Um, we're not innocent in the U.S. here either. You know, we I've long said that we're going to see an epic rally in gold, but it's going to be alongside the dollar. And sure enough, you know, here we are with gold sitting at 1527. Well, guess what? The dollar index is at a 98.46 headed to 100. And, 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 you know, everybody's an expert in gold again. I'm not saying I'm the only one that got this right a couple of years ago, but there weren't a lot of me's out there um, that actually held that view. And frankly, there's not a lot of me's right now that hold the view that the dollar is going to rally right alongside gold. Um, but a big reason why that's happening is because the example came out yesterday where Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has said that issuing ultra-long U.S. bonds is under very serious consideration. So the, 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 the concept in the U.S. that the world's strongest economy, right, that, that, that controls the bulk of obviously dollar-denominated debt around the world, and there's a lot of it, is, is, is considering, very seriously considering, issuing 50 and 100-year bonds is, 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 is what they're considering right now. Um, these are different times, folks. I, I, I encourage everybody to um, read Mr. Ray Dalio's recent piece in Bloomberg about the end of this credit cycle. I encourage people to maybe Google Martin Armstrong, who's got as clear a grasp on capital flight and the systemic risk that the bond market presents right now. Um, and, you know, read some of my stuff. I borrow from all those guys. Those guys obviously have a whole heck of a lot more money and research staff um, to, 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 to actually, you know, get in there and dissect all of it. Um, I, I'm a student of all those guys, and it, it, it's, it's beyond me why this isn't a bigger deal. But this is what the price of gold in most currencies is trying to express. This is what's coming. And this isn't something that's happening in three, four, five, six years, um, like China overtaking the U.S. as the dominant economy globally. This, this, this European bond market thing is something that's set to blow, I think, in the next six to 12 months. I, I, I think it's that serious. I think it's why treasury yields are where they are. I think it's why the 10-year is, is at a 1.46 here. There's only one way it can go. The writing has been on the wall for a long time. I was looking at a stock chart of Europe and Japan this week, and those stocks haven't gone up in four or five years. It's really been the the U.S. where equities have have been buoyant, and and that's just a function of the things that you're saying are about to happen. The smart money preparing for and and taking their money out and then putting it. Well, I wrote about it this week, putting it where money is treated best, and so that's. It's been U.S. equities for a long, long time, but that's changing now. And the better gold treats money, the and the worse bonds do, the more money is going to go into gold. It's pretty simple. Agreed. So for everybody that's listening that may be new to the podcast, I urge you, it doesn't have to be Nick. It doesn't have to be me. It can be you pick your favorite newsletter writer, whatever style you like, whatever the risk tolerance um, is, you know, for your specific situation. You define that and you go find somebody that seems half credible um, whose writing style you like and, and just go get some different ideas from different people and do some due diligence. There's going to be a lot of money to be made in this gold bull cycle. Um, <laughs> it's going to bring out a lot of the charlatans and everything else that goes along with it. But if you do some good research, there's a lot of money to be made. It's going to come with a ton of volatility. And unfortunately, we know what that leads to. There's going to be a lot of civil unrest. Um, that's another conversation for another time. We've talked about it in the podcast before. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's 
Our job is to try to give you ideas that hopefully make you a little bit of money and make some money ourselves and, you know, speculating alongside uh, our, our readers. And this is the time to really be writing checks. It's it's I, I, I can't stress it enough. Don't wait until August of 2020 to do it when gold is at 1900 and about to hit real new highs at $2,000. Start doing your homework now. No, that's it. I got a, I got a, I got a phone call tomorrow morning with a company I've been watching for like two years. I haven't bought shares. I've just been watching, watching, watching. They have a half million ounce deposit. It was a former mine. They have a mill. Um, it's in a fairly good jurisdiction. And you know what? I've decided to pull the trigger. They announced a seven million dollar financing last week. I emailed them up. I said I want in, and they said let's talk this week. And so that's exactly right. It's time to get in quality companies. Excellent. I introduced you. Um, <laughs> my introduction of you was Nick, the solar prophet. And I want to talk about that a little bit. So um, for people that may not be familiar with how you got started in this business, can you can you enlighten us and, and, and share your background and how you got into this, this high risk, high reward speculative business that we uh, make our living off of? Uh, I answered a high risk, high reward classified, <laughs> classified ad on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> and what did that lead to nick uh that led to me being uh an assistant editor for a publication at the time that was called green chip stocks run by a man named jeff siegel and this was in the the heady days um of solar and wind energy when um, Chinese solar stocks were the heaviest traded stocks on the street. They were at the top of the list on the last page of the Wall Street Journal every day because they were either the highest gaining stocks on the market or they had traded the most volume stocks like Solar Fun and Yingli and JA Solar. And I could probably list off 20 more of them. And that was my job to, you know, just like sort of, I don't know. You know, gold is getting to be now. We were in a, a bull market for renewables. I was young and dumb. I didn't know anything. Um, we were about to elect Obama to his first term. Everything was hopey changey. Um, and so my, I, was ta- I was tasked with uh, writing about and, and evaluating um, clean tech companies, which I didn't know anything about at the time, which is kind of funny. Um, and I thought it was easy because, and I've told the story a bunch, so sorry if I'm boring you or any <laughs> other readers. This is great. I thought it was easy. I thought you just pick a stock with solar in the name and then it went up like 30% in a couple of weeks and you could sell. So um, I ended up writing a book about investing in renewable energy. I was on. It's a best selling book, everybody. That's not just a book. He's humble. He's a humble genius. On, He's a humble, stable I genius. On, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> I was on BNN in Canada and I was on, you know, Yahoo videos that they have on Yahoo Finance where they interview gurus or whatever. And um, it was all so easy. You know, I'd go around to conferences and I would meet people like um, Ted Turner um, and other famous people that were investing in proponents of clean tech. And then what what happened? Well, 2008 happened, the financial crisis. And um, as crises do, they bring facts to the fore. And it was learned that none of this stuff is viable without massive, 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 massive subsidies from the government um, that, in fact, the sun does go down and that without some sort of viable storage technology, the solar can never work. And that's not me poo-pooing solar. I mean, that's just an economic fact here. Your source of energy isn't available for half the time. So if you can't store it for that other half at at an economically viable price, then then it's not going to it's not going to succeed. And we saw that, you know, solar stocks were absolutely decimated. Wind stocks that were high flyers like 
Vestas and Gamesa and other companies like that all just got demolished. And so that's really when I um, got my market education. I, I don't even know why we're talking about this. I'm sure we'll get back to it in a second. Uh, but that's where I learned that, hey, you know, fundamentals matter and numbers matter and, you know, money flows and capital supplies and interest rates and all that and cycles. And that's when I learned about gold and what real money is, not currency, and got my real education and started Outsider Club and all that. So that's sort of my um, origin story. That's your origin exactly. story. And, that's my. That, I love it. No, and I asked for a very specific reason. You know, here we are in 2019, and just last week on the podcast, we talked about the fact that you wrote about solar roads back in 2014. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and then, you know, I, I, I happen to think Elon Musk might be onto something with this whole, this is all a simulation thing. We figured it out, and we're kind of just fucking with ourselves from the future. Sure enough, you you you, you brush, you know, the, the, the dust off this article that you wrote back in 2014 and talk about it last week. And what do you send me a few days ago? An article about France shutting down the solar road. That's right. Well, surprise, surprise, <laughs> it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Can you explain why it wasn't a good idea? So my rant last week was about it was a, it, it got kicked off because all the Democratic candidates are unveiling their climate change plans and how we're going to be whatever carbon free electricity in the United States by 2050, which is a crock of shit. And it was a crock of shit 10 years ago when they were telling you we were going to be off by 2040. And so that's when I launched into this whole tirade about these solar roads and how how stupid that is. You can't get a solar panel to work on a roof 100% of the time. Oh, let's fucking put it on a road and drive over it with Mack trucks a billion times a day. It's really going to be beneficial. And to be clear, they didn't just talk about doing this. They did this. So they did this. They put down the road. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, they did one kilometer. It cost $5 million. And surprise, surprise, it didn't fucking work. And now they're going to have to... You know, decommission the whole thing. They wasted their money. The money goes to what Rick Rule calls money heaven. Yes. Um, and, and that's it. And so lots of money has gone to money heaven. Like I saw another one this week where the this latest um, startup is trying to crack the nut of energy storage by um, using the clean energy during the day, the solar energy, to to lift up concrete blocks. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then when, you, when you need the energy... Um, we're just going to lower the concrete box and they're going to harness the kinetic energy. It's not going to work, folks. I've been I've been evaluating this stuff for over a decade, a dozen years. I've, I've read about the pumped hydro storage and evaluated it. I've read about the let's use solar and wind to compress air and store it underground in a cavern and then we can release the air to turn generators. It's a Sisyphusian task. It's it's the guy in Greek mythology who rolled the, the the brick, who rolled the big stone up a hill every day, only for it to roll back down at the end of the day. And the next day, he had to put it back on there. The way the future is batteries, um, increasing efficiency of batteries and lowering the cost of getting clean, sustainable sources of cobalt and lithium. It's not fucking lifting up concrete blocks. <laughs> I told you he was the solar prophet, everybody. <laughs> Let's talk about... Um... Let's talk about President Obama's $14 million home. I know you wanted to opine on you just that. Just keep going, don't you? You're going to send me to the doctor today, Gerardo. Uh, this, hey, this is cheaper than therapy, Nick, is what we say, right? Well, so here's just where I say it. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a hypocritical pile of shit. And this comes from someone who is politically agnostic, who votes where I think I see the best ideas and the best people and and uh, voted for Mr. Obama in the in the 2008 election, liked a lot of what he had to say at the time. But I like where this is going, because we might disagree on this. I don't know yet. And we haven't chatted about this off the record or anything. We never do. We, we freestyle most of this for all of you listening, wondering why we rant and rave. None of this is really scripted. We come up with like five or six talking points, talk markets, and then just kind event and uh you know have a therapy session so I, I like where this is going fire away nick but then saw him during his presidency do none of the things hardly that he was talking about doing whether that was you know things immigration yeah immigration exactly or yep. guantanamo and terrorism or patriot act or bailing out the banks or you know whatever it is um and so there was a specific quote of his that was talking about billionaires and how no one needs to make that much money. And there's only so big a house you can buy. That was his mm. quote in the thing. There's mm. only so many cars you can drive, Mr. Oh, Obama said. Yeah. No one needs a house that big except for Mr. Obama himself after he leaves office and collects his lucrative speaking fees. Then, then, um, then you need a house that big. And I'm not knocking them. Enjoy your $14 million house, Mr. Obama. Just some hypocritical shit you said, and I feel like I need to point it out. Man, we actually agree. 100%. I don't knock them. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I lean libertarian. I, I, I am absolutely a capitalist. I think uh, you work hard, you play hard. Is it hypocritical? Absolutely, it's hypocritical, right? As as is most things that, that, uh, that politicians say. Um, with that being said... You know, that's hypocritical. But let's talk about pimps and drug dealers. Um, let's talk about Mr. Trump. And let's talk about the Sackler family. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Sackler family, they are the owners of Purdue Pharma. Um, and they are generously offering to settle more than 2,000 lawsuits against the company. And why there's only 2,000 is beyond me. Um, for 10 to $12 billion. So we're going to talk about pimps and drug dealers. I don't know of any kingpin or group of kingpins or cartel leaders in this country that are allowed to bribe their way out of prison or indictments. Um, with money do you nick well just the banks um just the banks but the banks weren't directly and knowingly killing people right so there's a well, we could say that they yeah. were they, they they were they were doing a lot of shit to people bad things kicking them out of their homes that, that i'm sure led to some unhealthy situations right zero pushback from me on that that to me is very different mm -hmm. though I'm not sure. So just at one point of contention, HSBC was caught red-handed laundering money for terrorists. Sure, those terrorists killed some people. Um, a consortium of banks was caught red-handed manipulating LIBOR. Sure, a couple of people jumped out of the window because of that. So I, I think they probably directly killed some people and then got to pay some fines. But I, I, I see your point and I know where you're going, so go. Yeah, my point is just the scale of what they did. You know, it, it, it's a shadow of what the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma amongst others have done. And so I just, it's beyond me. We've talked about this with the Epstein situation and, and all the nasty shit that went on there. Um, it's just beyond me that the, you know, this is a serious story on mainstream news 
and they're treating it as if this is just the only option we have is let them give, you know, <laughs> let them satisfy all the death and, 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 and the tragedy that was caused by knowingly infesting our country with opioids. And let's just wash that away with 10 to $12 billion. That's crazy to me. So that's what, no, yeah, it's, it's nuts to me. Then what's two? Are you going to keep going? Are you yeah, yeah, yeah. Me? No, let, 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 let's talk pimps now. You know, I, I said we talked about, you know, immigration centers and detention centers and migrant centers and all of that. And I said about a month and a half ago that what the U.S. government is doing and specifically the Trump administration is they're just pimping kids. You know, it's not about stopping the rapists. It's not about stopping the drugs. It's not about stopping, you know, the people that are coming into the country illegally to do wrong and do harm uh, to U.S. citizens. No, it's not about that. And the reason we know it's not about that is 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 exemplified very clearly um, with the new rule now that Mr. Trump is imposing, which allows officials to detain migrant families indefinitely, while judges consider whether to grant them asylum in the U.S. So before there was a 20-day limit. So we don't we're, we as a country are not deciding to hire more judges or to fast track these cases so that we can either a Get rid of the people that are trying to come in illegally so we don't have to worry about it. So it's not a burden on taxpayers. Or B, grant them the asylum status they're seeking, which is perfectly legal to do, by the way. Grant, you know, asking for asylum status. There's nothing illegal about that part. Crossing into the country illegally, completely different situation. That's illegal. If we're going to punish that, then punish it according to the rule of law. Don't come up and draw new shit and find technicalities as a way to feed the private detention centers that are holding these people indefinitely. These are the detention centers that are charging me, the taxpayer, $750 a day, as much as $750 per day. So little kids can sit on concrete floors and not be allowed showers and not be allowed to go and, 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 and actually sit with their parents. They're being t torn apart. It's criminal and it's the pimping of kids. It's four times the price of the best hotel for a night in Spokane, by the way. And these kids can't even get a damn decent shower or a half decent bed to lay in. And you're telling me that we're doing that for the safety? Come on, man. It's the pimping of kids. It's 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 it just is what it is, and it, it it's crazy to me that I don't care what political party you belong to or identify with. Um, this just isn't even humane, man. This isn't humane. It's uh it's ugly stuff. That's it. I just wanted to talk about pimps and drug dealers. Well, it's a two-tier justice system, you know, just as, you know, the Sackler family in Purdue got away with it for a decade and now just have to pay a speeding ticket, you know. Um, you know, in 10 years, we'll see class action lawsuits against this, these private corporations that, that, did that did this stuff to these kids. And so that's sort of the way it goes in the U.S., or at least the way it's been going with a, a two-tier justice system for... Um, individuals and corporations, whether those individuals are um, victims of, of drug pushing from the Sacklers or whether those people are 
um, victims of crazy immigration policies on behalf of the U.S. government and how that leads to detention and the enrichment of private corporations. You, you see what I'm saying there. You got corporations on one side and then individuals on another. And unfortunately, and for too long, it's corporations who have come out ahead. And we talked about this a bit last week with the Citizen United decision, et cetera, all part of the fourth turning, all part of institutions needing to change and hopefully uh, they do for the better over the next decade. And again, my frustration is that it, it, it's not exclusive to, you know, just people trying to come into this country illegally or seeking asylum legally. We do it to our own citizens here in this country. Look at the way we treat veterans when they come back and they have mental health issues from overseas, from fighting on behalf of our government, on behalf of our country. Look at how we treat people in general that have mental health issues. 65% of the people that are in jail right now or in prison um, will, will leave prison um, and then reoffend. And the only treatment option they have while they're in prison and jail is medication that they won't have access to when they come back out. So they come out worse and they come out addicted. And then you have assholes like the Sackler family feeding them tons and tons of fucking heroin pills. Um, all at the cost of human lives just to make an extra buck. It's nasty. And let me drill down local for you because I don't know if I talked about this yet on this podcast or not, but there was that report that came out from the Washington Post because they had the Freedom of Information Act request to get from the DEA the individual pharmacy level data mm. state by state, which, yep. which pharmacies were pushing the pills. And I got to tell you, Gerardo, I read it. And I read about Maryland, where I'm from, and I read yep. about the, the the small county that I grew up in, and yep. and I read and I read about the pharmacies that were releasing the most pills. And I got to tell you, the family that owned the 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 pharmacy in Elkton, Maryland, where I grew up, that was pushing the most pills. Uh, the number that sticks in my mind was 55 pills per person in Cecil County um, was Disgusting. coming out of that pharmacy. And did I, but I'm telling you. Um, uh, a good family in the eyes of the community, the family that owned this pharmacy in church every Sunday, right? And so whether it's it's the Sacklers or the family that owned City Pharmacy in Upton, Maryland, it was um, um, a network of pharmaceutical companies and, and individual pharmacies and doctors that were colluding to push these pills for sure. Let's, on a little bit of a lighter note, <laughs> similar theme, let's talk about the billion dollars of cocaine that ended up on a ship owned by J.P. Morgan. Um, that was interesting to me. This happened back in July, and I just, again, I thought, okay, this one isn't as serious, right? But I thought, well, this should gain a little bit of traction. Like, it was kind of odd that the boat was traveling from Chile to Europe. It passed through the Bahamas, Panama, and Peru. And then it docked in Philadelphia. I remember when it happened because I was, I think I was in, anyway, I was on the East Coast and I, I grew up near Philadelphia. So I was talking about it with buddies. I certainly remember it a month ago. Yep. Excellent. So again, this ship was owned by JP Morgan. And I don't know that there's been any arrest or investigation as to how 17.9 metric tons of cocaine got on this ship. There is no way that traveled as far as it traveled without an extensive network of insiders that are working to get this cocaine to where it was supposed to get to. Um, I haven't heard anything about indictments or investigations or any of this stuff. 
and 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 and, and it's kind of odd that they didn't allow the ship to me it's odd to me anyway um they weren't they didn't allow the ship to continue on to its final destination where they could have arrested the people that the cocaine was going to the people that were receiving it it's almost as if the DEA didn't want anybody to know where it was going once they knew that other people knew it's weird it's odd to me it's a it's a very odd story. It was like the largest drug bust in U.S. history or something like that. A billion dollars of street value. And I think so far they've only arrested like five crew members. And, uh, you know, yeah, disappears and, from and, headlines all, yeah, all, and too, the low all too frequently. Le- yeah, and, and the low-level guys that were getting, you know, the container from, you know, one ship to the next and making sure that the 17 tons of uh, cocaine was still on there, right? They haven't. They haven't gone after any of the big people. So I thought that was interesting. You know, anytime you hear a uh, billion dollars of cocaine ship owned by JP Morgan traveling multiple countries, and then the ship isn't allowed to get to where it's going. Like, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a DEA agent. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a detective, but I would think that the best thing to do now that we know there's 17 metric tons of cocaine on this ship is to follow it. It's almost as if giant banks and their leaders hold sway over politicians and our government. No way. <laughs> My last thing that I want to touch on is all the bullshit fake outrage about Andrew Luck. Star quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts decided he's got a beautiful wife. He's got a beautiful life. He's very, very wealthy. He doesn't need the four or five hundred million dollars that he left on the table when his contract was up. When, you know, if he would have stayed in the NFL, he would have received. He was happy with the couple of hundred million he had already made. And at 29 years old, I believe, he decided that the physical toll on his body was too much. And oh my God, he, you know, who is this guy to believe that he should be able to enjoy his health with his wife and his kids? Um, and his wealth that he's earned on his own. Um, Oh, you know, there's outrage. He got booed in his home stadium as he was walking out after announcing the retirement. And then in a true act of class, went on to thank the fans in the press, in the press conference afterward. Cheers to Mr. Luck. I wish him all the luck. No pun intended. Um, He's earned the money he's made. For those of you that screamed, scrammed, threw shit, said shit, cursed at him, tweeted, you guys got to find real stuff to get angry about. There's a lot out there. This isn't it, folks. This isn't it. It's nuts. OJ got mad at him. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Did you see that? No, I didn't, but I saw Troy Aikman come to his defense, so go Troy. He did. Somebody who actually knows what it takes to train as rigorously as a quarterback in the NFL has to train and knows about the toll that it takes on the body and the mind and what it takes away from the family. And so, good for Troy Aikman. OJ got on Twitter, posted a video. Um, he, he, he was right, because oh, because OJ, <laughs> OJ is the is the is the light of ethics and shining beacon of of do gooder. It's a bizarro world, everybody. I'm telling you, and you want to know why OJ was so mad about it? I I couldn't begin to imagine because he had just drafted Andrew Luck in his fantasy draft league one hour beforehand. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> this is the shit that makes OJ mad.
I love that OJ's playing fantasy football, man. It's just uh, amazing. It's a bizarre world for sure. It's a bizarre world. I, I, I can't believe he's on Twitter and he's as active as he is. So, yeah, for the sensitive amongst you out there, I encourage you all to go watch David Chappelle's um, new Netflix comedy special, Sticks and Stones. So if you like to be offended and you are a delicate flower um, and you don't know how to take a joke and you want something to be angry about, that is the special for you. It was absolutely brilliant and hilarious. When did it come out? I haven't seen it. I got to check it out. Just this last week. I've watched it twice already. Um, I'll probably watch it again in the next week or two. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of everything for everybody. He insults his audience. He in, he, he insults. <laughs> well, you just got to go check it out. Go watch it. It's on Netflix, it. guys. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a solid hour. Um, but yeah, if you're easily offended, that's the comedy special for you guys. You guys will tweet and write letters and yell. And uh, that's the one. Go do that one. And I'm a Chappelle fan, made a Chappelle reference at the start of this episode with the fuck your couch. And so, yeah, I'll check it out. Good stuff. Good stuff. That's all I have. We've talked markets. Um, we've talked about, you know, the bizarro world that we live in. You got anything else, Mr. Hodge? No, not unless you want a stock of the week or you want to know what I'm up to this weekend. Otherwise, I'm content to leave it there. I would love to know what you're up to this weekend. As I said, it's the kickoff of the fall hunting season. So archery season for deer starts on Sunday. Dove season starts on Sunday. Um, Going to get some of that stuff done. Got the decoys set up for the doves. Got the um, pond is full. The blind is ready. I'm just ready to get at it. So, you know, I love talking about hunting and love doing that stuff. And so it's almost my season. I like it. I like it. Let's save the stock of the week for next week it'll be post labor day um i expect a pretty robust first week or two in the junior resource space again i then expect a pullback in the gold price that frankly i think is going to scare the wits out of some of the newbies amongst you um and it's going to be a prime buying opportunity we'll see if that plays out um obviously a ton of moving parts uh between trump and the fed and the stuff going on overseas um it's a bizarre world, everybody, <laughs> that it is what it is. I'm Gerardo Del Real. Mr. Hodge, it's been a pleasure. Can't wait to see if Winston Gold maintains its newfound strength. You know what? Let's do this. I'll be at the Beaver Creek Precious Metals Conference here in a couple of weeks. You and I will be at the New Orleans Investment Conference in November. Let's follow Winston Gold every week from now until our conference in New Orleans. And then let's do a podcast around it. Okay, sounds like a deal. I love it. For those of you listening out there, if you have the opportunity to go to either of those conferences, both are excellent. Obviously, kind of short notice for Beaver Creek. Uh, New Orleans, put on by Brian London, is my favorite conference to attend and my favorite conference to speak at. I've had the good fortune of being able to do so uh, for multiple years. Mr. Hodge has been there for quite some time presenting and speaking. You can catch both of us there. If you're around, come by, listen to the podcast live, have a beer with us. It'd be awesome seeing you guys. Episode 34, Bizarro World. Anything else, Nick? Nope. See ya. Have a great week. Don't be assholes to each other. Love each other and be nice. Bye, guys.